As parents, there is a lot on our plate. And the guilt and the shame that we can feel if our house isn't perfect and spotless can be overwhelming. Even more so if you have something like ADHD or depression. And on today's episode of the Little Tots Big Talks podcast, we have somebody who is an expert in helping parents work through that feeling of overwhelm and letting go of a lot of that shame and guilt. Casey Davis is a licensed professional counselor. I originally found her on TikTok, where she currently has 1.4 million followers. She is also an author with a book on the USA Today bestsellers list called How to Keep House While Drowning. And in today's episode, we cover all these things. How do you let go of some of that shame? And how do you start to organize and keep yourself from feeling so overwhelmed with everything that there is to do? And also, how do we start teaching kids these lessons now so that they don't feel that same guilt whenever they get to be older. Let's get started. All right. So Casey, thank you again for doing this. I'm so excited to have you on here. I've been following you on TikTok for a while and just love your content. And by watching your follower count increase, it seems like you're reaching a lot of people and touching a lot of people. So again, I'm really excited and thank you for for doing this. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. So for those who don't know you, could you introduce yourself? Who are you? Why should they listen to you? <laughs> All that good stuff. So I, my name is Casey Davis. I'm a licensed professional counselor and I run a platform called Struggle Care, which is primarily about helping people that have functional barriers, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, or just maybe some support deficits really deal with self-care in regards to cleaning or hygiene or feeding themselves. And so some of those basic things that really can get pretty hard at times, dishes, laundry, all those sort of things. And we're all about sort of reconceptualizing those care tasks from chores and the external motivation to do them because you should, or because that's what real adults do into looking at them as just ways of caring for self and being kind to yourself and that you are a person that deserves to be taken care of and have a functional space and all of those great things. I'm also a stay-at-home mom of two. I have a 14-month-old and a three-year-old and they are incredible and beautiful and wonderful. And I wrote a book called How to Keep House While Drowning and it's on Amazon. And I have some workbooks and some cool templates and things on my website. And so that's kind of what I do. I take care of my kiddos. I make TikToks. I somehow squeak out a book, hoping to grind out some more. So wonderful. Yeah. And I think that is what really drew me to your work is this idea that of letting go of that pressure. Mm-hmm. So many parents. And now that I'm a you know a new dad, I've, I've experienced that pressure that everything has to be done. Yes. You have to, you have to have the dishes have to be done. We have to do laundry four times a week because every time the baby spits up, we've got to clean that. And the house needs to be spotless for all these people who are wanting to visit, which I've kind of lucked out because we're in a pandemic and people can't visit as much, but it needs to be spotless for them. And, and I think that social media has a tendency to further make that pressure, you know, it just increases it. And I, I noticed that in your platform, it's really helped to help parents maybe see that yeah, we don't have to be perfect. It's okay to let those dishes sit in the sink for a day. Yes, totally. And I have a lot of followers that have mental health issues or chronic pain, but I also have a ton of parents that follow me who, and I even mentioned this on my website, you can be someone of healthy body, sound mind, great support system. But you throw in a big life change, like having a baby, moving to a new city, losing a spouse, one big life change can completely strip you of most of your coping skills and bring out things that maybe you didn't know were there before. A lot of people struggle with things like the dishes piling up and they don't realize it's such an issue for them because they've always been able to just keep on top of the dishes, throw a newborn in there or a pandemic or both. And now you can't keep on top of the dishes and you're realizing, I never realized how much anxiety I have over this, or I never realized how much I connected being on top of housework to my worth as a person. I mean, so many moms comment on my TikToks and say, you know, I'm holding my six week old baby and I can't get on top of the dishes and there's laundry everywhere and the house is a mess. And I feel like I'm failing. Right. And so there's this huge connect with parents with this idea of being in the struggle when it comes to caring for our homes. Right. And 
what do you say to those parents who who say, I feel like I'm failing at this? Well, that's when my one of my core pillars or principles is that care tasks are morally neutral. There's nothing about dishes that makes you a good or bad person, a success or a failure. And I read a blog the other day, and I wish I could remember the author because the title was Housework is Not Motherhood. And I think that's such a powerful message. Motherhood doesn't have anything to do with how good you are at laundry or being tidy or being organized. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with attachment and responsiveness and discipline and love and safety and all of these things that quite honestly take an intense amount of energy. And so I think that there's this huge push to help parents realize some of these things that we think are really, really, really important aren't can really be deprioritized because you're going to need that energy to focus on the things that actually impact your child long-term. And the other reason why, you know, and I started posting some things about how can we help our kids? How can we raise our kids to have a healthy relationship to things like chores and cleaning and hygiene? Because what I noticed is so many of my followers that have a difficult relationship with caring for themselves have that relationship because of something that happened in their childhood because, Mm. and on both sides of the spectrum, right? Extreme. They, I have people whose parents were hoarders that now have a lot of anxiety over cleaning. And I have people whose parents were neat freaks and they weren't even allowed to play with toys because it would mess things up. And so it, it just sort of dawned on me that the way that we treat and model care tasks in front of our children has a huge impact to their later functioning. Absolutely. I think I see that a lot in, and not just in care tasks, I think in a lot of different areas is when we're raised a certain way, then we either one of two things happens, either we carry that on or we go the complete opposite side of the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. And I could definitely see that with cleaning too, with with keeping a house straight is that families with hoarders, it might be, okay, I never want to live in that again. And now I'm never going to have a mess in my house. Right? Yes, exactly. And I often say to people, you know, it's important. I read this somewhere, and so I don't want to take credit for the thought, but <laughs> this really impacted me, not around cleaning, but just around some other parental issues I went through as a child. It said, your job is to be the parent that your child needs, not to be the parent that you needed. Because sometimes we overcompensate because if we remember feeling unsafe in a disorganized house, we overcompensate and go, I would never want my child to feel unsafe. And so there might be a small mess somewhere. And we sort of freak out about that mess because we love our child so much but we forget that our child doesn't have the same context that we had, right? Right? Was it really the mess that made you feel unsafe as a child or did your mother have a mental health problem or your dad was absent or right? There's something unstable about the parent and the attachment itself. And that mess was a side effect of that, but you've now associated those feelings with the mess. Whereas if you're doing the work to be loving and kind and safe and have gentle discipline and respectful parenting and attachment, your child isn't going to experience a little bit of mess in that way. And so Mm -hmm. I've really had to unpack some of those things because I sometimes want to be the parent that I needed when I need to be the parent that my child needs. Yeah. The the idea of, of parenting per the child and every child is going to have a different need as far as a parenting style, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's some kid that need a little bit more structure. There's some that don't need as much. And I think when we come into it saying, this is exactly what's going to happen. And this is exactly what we're going to do it the same way every single time with every single kid, Mm -hmm. it really sets us up for, for failure in a way, right? It's, it sets us up to say, wow, why isn't this working? Because it worked before, or it worked with that child in this situation. And I think that bringing in what you're saying there, which is, really I'm parenting myself and I'm just kind of projecting that onto my kids. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I guess for you, it sounds like you've done some of that work. How do you help other parents start to identify that in themselves and and start to kind of move away from that? So the first big shift that we need to make as parents is away from this idea that our primary job is to elicit compliance from our children. 
that like my success as a mom depends on a clean room from my child, right? Because I always say that if you win the battle for a clean room, but your child isn't equipped with the relationship to care tasks that they need to function later, that's not a win. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's not just care tasks, that's everything, right? right? Good grades, respect, these things is that my job isn't to do figure out whatever it's going to take to elicit the behavior I want to see. And, and we do this out of great motives. Okay. You need to know these things in order to succeed in life. But sometimes the methods we use work for the wrong reasons. Right. Right. So yes, I can get my child to be compliant if I spank them and they're afraid of me, or if I yell at them and they're afraid of me, or if I threaten to take away the things that they love, okay, well now they're just going to do something because they want those things back. And then I'm going to release them into the world at 18. And there is not going to be someone there threatening to hit them if they don't do their homework or take away their Xbox if they don't clean their room. And so it's hard because you maybe won't get some of the behavior that another parent will get in terms of compliance if you choose to go the long-term goals. Mm -hmm. And so looking at, okay, then what's my role? I really can't control my child's behavior and that's not my job. My job is to teach and model and to create a safe environment where they can learn from me. Yeah. I love what you said. And I think this idea that we can absolutely get compliance from kids, especially when they're really young and they don't have as much of a voice. I think we sometimes start to pay for that just compliance focus when kids get into be teenagers and they can start to speak for themselves and, and have a little bit more strength in them. But I, as you were saying, compliance, we can get that compliance. I just, I started finding myself thinking compliance at what cost, right? Mm -hmm. And we can get that immediate compliance with yelling or threatening or spanking. And the reason parents do it is because it works in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we see something like our definition of working is the compliant behavior. Yes. So, you know, if, if we talk about, okay, give your kid two choices, you can either do this or do that. And then they don't choose the choice we want. We go, well, that didn't work. That didn't work. And it's like, well, what do you mean by work though? Yeah. And so I think that that's a hard shift to make. <laughs> yes. Right. Well, I think, yeah, it's, it's, what is our goal for our kids? Mm -hmm. Is it just to have a clean room? Is it just to get good grades? Is it just to do everything that they're told to do? Or do we want them to develop skills like time management and conflict resolution and uh, an ability to, to make and maintain friendships and relationships? And those skills take a lot more work and effort. And I think with parents, I find that there's this focus on, again, of doing all the chores and maintaining a house and keeping everything clean. Plus I'm trying to be this perfect parent, the, the Instagram mom. And then I have this child who is doing these things that are feeling challenging to me. And I just don't feel like I have the time or patience to be able to do that. And the pressure is so difficult. I mean, not only do you have sort of the internal fear and feeling as though you're failing because you can't seem to get the sort of behaviors that you think are what's going to be good for your child in the long run. And you start to worry, oh, what if they never have a clean room? What if they can never get good grades? What if they never learn not to hit little Johnny on the playground? And so you have this internal fear of failing. You have this mm -hmm. internal wrestle of the power dynamics. I should be respected. I should be treated this way. And those are very difficult, particularly if you have any kind of trauma in your background. And then there's this external pressure, you know, the way that I respond to big feelings and tantrums and meltdowns and things. If I respond to my child in a very gentle and respectful manner in a grocery store, I know that parents are going to look at me and think, why can't she just get her child under control? She's permissive. She's, you know, what do you mean you get down on the ground and just allow them to flail there until the feelings have passed? And that's oh, so hard because yeah. I'm already struggling with, am I good enough mom? And now all these people in the supermarket are staring at me, you know? And so. And everybody has a parenting opinion. Yes, absolutely. And so when I think when, when I try to talk to people about how can we help our kids have a healthier relationship to care tasks, it's about 
moving away from the punishments and the rewards and the star charts, because those things run the risk. They're not bad. They're not wrong. And my kids are very young. And so I can't say that I'll never use punishments and rewards for things, but the risk that we run is making everything, this external motivation. I have to do it. I should do it. It's what I need to be doing instead of sort of doing the really, really difficult and muddy work of teaching our kids that these tasks are about caring for ourselves, about caring for our family. And it's hard for many ways because one, sometimes it's just faster to do things yourself when they're really little. I think that's what happens when they're really little and they're in the phase where they want to help and they want to participate. Nothing they do is actually helpful. And so it's hard to let them help. And I don't mean we need to all the time. There are plenty of times that I say to my toddler when she says, I help, I help, I'm a big helper. And I say, no, thank you, sweetie. Tonight, mommy's just going to get dinner done really quickly. That is totally okay. That is also self-care for me, right? Because Mm -hmm. if I say, okay, let's do it. And I'm dragging my feet and I'm frustrated. Like that's not going to be a helpful experience to her anyways. Sure. But what I try- They're going to pay attention and they're going to feel that. Yes. And so, but I do try to use- a lot of those opportunities to take a deep breath, regulate myself and say, okay, I know this is going to slow the process down and make my kitchen messier and potentially not taste as good. But the benefit is that I feel like if I can get her buy-in at this age, when she's excited about participating, that that will hopefully carry on when she's older. Because I think the risk is we sort of push them to the side when they're little. And then when they get old enough to do it right, we're like, well, do it. Why aren't you participating? But they haven't had that practice of what it means to ebb and flow with the family. And so then they don't necessarily connect that. Right. And I think that carries to so many different areas and facets of, of children and development. And that's, I mean, most of brain development happens before five years old. Right. And of course the brain changes throughout our entire life, but the major functions of the brain are developed by five years old. And if we can help build foundational skills at these young ages, when kids are excited and eager and curious and willing to try and learn and practice these things, then it builds that foundation that we can then build on. And I still let them be kids, right? I don't expect my kids at this age to be doing chores and, and I mostly clean, but I do, I do try and take care of the house in front of them. I don't want them to think that there's like a care task fairy that they go to bed every night and they wake up and everything is new and clean. And this is just how my life will be forever. I want them to see me doing those things and and they can participate some when they're interested and then they will wander off when they're disinterested and sort of understanding that that's developmentally appropriate Mm -hmm. and not pressuring them to no, keep helping. Nope. Keep helping. And so, you know, allowing them to see me do that, but also trying to model that this isn't I don't want to always model it as this is so frustrating. Oh, what a mess. I hate this part of my life because I don't want to give the impression that like, yes, this is the part of life that sucks, you know, because she doesn't know that she thinks standing on a step stool and throwing laundry into the washer is the best thing she's ever done. And so I want to do those things in front of them. I want them to see me, you know, I'm not going to overdo it with this is so much fun, but it's just a part of life. And I want them to understand it's functional. And so like their play area is the place that I focus on getting their engagement. in. I mean, not the little one she doesn't understand, but the older one. And so watching the way that I speak about mess, I started to notice that I always said the word mess in context with being frustrated and saying something negative. Be careful. You're making a mess. Don't do that. It's making a mess. And so I was like, gosh, no wonder so much of us grow up and feel like it's not okay to make a mess or leave a mess. And so she started walking into her playroom and going, wow, so messy. And I started making sure that I was talking about where is it okay and good to make a mess and where do we want to try not to make a mess? So when she would make a mess at dinner and just at her age, like when when they're little, I let them play in their food and stuff. But, you know, if she is purposefully smearing pudding on her face, I might say, okay, dinner time is not a time where we try purposely to make messes. It's good to make a mess when you're playing. It's more helpful to try not make messes when you're eating dinner. 
Yeah. You can make a mess on accident. That's fine. And so just telling them that. And when they say, when she says, oh, it's so messy in here, I started saying, that's awesome. You must have had so much fun in here. I love that shift and pulling it. It's my favorite when kids start to be that, that basically our own recording and they start repeating ourselves, us and what we've said. And, and we start saying like, where did they get that? And, we're, and then we say, oh, <laughs> That was me. That was me. I did that. And and then what I love there is that it's, it's easy to say, well, no, it's not that, or, or trying to change the behavior, but instead you tried to shift that pattern. And instead of just saying, no, it's not a mess. You said, yeah, this is, it's an awesome mess. This is a good mess. Yeah. It's good to make messes when you play. It means you were having fun. And then talking about, you know, my channel for adults is all about, seeing care tasks, not as moral issues, but just functional issues, right? Doing your dishes, it's a functional task. It's no right, wrong way to do it. You're not a success or a failure if you don't do it, or if you do do it, or if you do it great. And so having those conversations with my three-year-old about, okay, we need to tidy up. Why? Well, because then we'll have more space to play because then we'll know where our toys are and it'll be easier to play. And so even at her age, she's catching on to, she will bring up herself, let's tidy up and wow. we'll do it together. And she will participate for a few minutes and then she'll start rolling around the ground and I'll do the rest of it. You know, I'm resisting my urge to go, nope, we're still cleaning. Nope, we're still cleaning because I know it's developmentally appropriate at three years old to put a few things in a bin and then lose interest. And I don't want to turn it into a power struggle or something that she you know, super dislikes doing as she gets older, there will be a appropriate shift of responsibility from me doing to her doing it or us doing it together. But so she's, we're trying to create a framework where she sees cleaning, picking up as something immediately connected to her needs of that space. And to me, that's the long-term goal to have children who turn into adults that see why they want to get these things done, the purpose of getting these things done, and also doing them together. A lot of the people that listen to my channel are easily overwhelmed with with the things that the multiple steps of cleaning. Mm-hmm. And they'll say things like, my, my parents never taught me how to clean. They just expected me to have a clean room. And I've heard heartbreaking stories. And I'm sure their parents would be heartbroken to hear these stories of sitting in a room with a trash bag crying because they mm-hmm. were truly just overwhelmed. Yeah. And so doing things at at her age, at three, doing things with her, not just leaving her alone. And I think we'll probably do that for a long time, doing things together. It's it's hard to hold on to that mentality for a three-year-old because they're starting to talk so much that we get this idea that they're just little adults and we forget that there's still so much development. I talk about most people know now that the brain doesn't finish developing till 25 and a three-year-old has 22 years of brain development left. And if you think about it, that's, I mean, just, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around it. Well, not only that, but the attachment development in those first mm-hmm. five years, if you don't get that right, it's very hard to override that yeah. in those, even in the 22 years after that. Right. And, and so I try to keep in mind whatever we're doing, that the relationship takes precedent over the task. Yeah. And it doesn't mean obviously that there aren't times I get frustrated or tell her, of course, good God, just go watch TV so I can get this done. (laughs) But I think that, you know, remembering that right now I'm trying to, it's okay for her to be a kid. I don't have to turn her into a mini adult. And you brought up a great thing about one time I had someone comment and say, how could you forget that? a three-year-old doesn't know how to clean. She's so little, but I appreciate what you said, which is like, okay, but my child now that she's speaking will sometimes say and do things that blows my mind Mm -hmm. that she understands those things, that she does those things, that she's capable of those things. And so it is difficult to remember. And I have kind of a funny story that happened the other day when my kids love to take all the diapers out of our diaper bin and throw them all around. And we let them. Of course, because that's fun. Yeah, it seems like fun. And there was one time where I was cleaning up something and she said, can I help you? And I said, yes, you can help by putting all those diapers back in the bin. And she walked over there and looked at them and went, it's too big. I can't, I can't pick these up. It's too big. And my initial response was, 
Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You are mm-hmm. capable of picking up something and putting it in a bin. And she goes, no, I can't. It's too hard. It's too big. And what I was hearing was it's too much and it's too much work. And I don't want to do that much effort. And so I was kind of getting a little frustrated with her. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped and and sort of checked my assumptions about what that meant. And, and you know, kids are so literal at that age. If you say take all of those diapers and put them in the bin. She actually heard literally put them all in your arms at once (laughs) and then carry them to this bin. And so I stopped and I said, she said, I don't know how, instead of being like, oh my God, yes, you do. I said, okay, just pick up one diaper. And she picked up one diaper and I said, yes, you did it. Now put the one diaper in the bin and she put it in the bin. And I said, see, you just have to do that again. Just pick up another diaper. And she did it after sort of walking her through doing it one at a time, a few times, she kept doing it. And then she got them all in the bin and she went, I did it. Yes. And my mom was visiting and my mom even commented, like, she's so tickled and proud of herself. <laughs> and it was at that moment that I realized that she wasn't unwilling. She was overwhelmed. Yeah. And we it's... forget that they need things broken down that small. Right. It's that. And, and then if you throw mental health disorders like ADHD and it's even more important to break things down like that. Yeah. I think I love that story so much because there's just so many little nuggets in it, but that idea that it'd be easy to get pulled into and say, yes, you do know how to do this. I've seen you do this before. <laughs> what do you mean? You it's, it's, it's simple. Just grab the diaper and put it in there. But by taking that second taking that breath and kind of swallowing that anger for a second saying, okay, what is she really saying here? And it was, okay, this is just, I'm trying, I'm literally trying, she has a picture in her mind of trying to grab all these things in her arms and trying to carry them to this bin. And that would be hard. She does, she can't do that. But one at a time is very doable. And I can see taking that into a bedroom and saying, okay, instead of just having to clean up your entire room, which, and I had the exact same experience when I was a kid. And I remember cleaning rooms was just an awful experience for all of us. And my brother and I would just, we shared a room and it was just, it was a nightmare every time, but it was clean this room. And for us, it's (gasps) this whole room. It's just so much, Mm -hmm. but if it were broken up into tasks of, okay, first let's just take the clothes and put them in a hamper. Right. And then breaking that up into the next strategy. And that can even be broken up in more. So first, we're just going to put the shirts in the hamper, right? Or just put the red shirts in the hamper. And it could just be broken up into little tasks. And for a three-year-old, that's what they need. And I'm trying really hard and, and to make sure that they are, of course, going to have experiences where cleaning up or mess or care tasks are associated with mom being frustrated. Mm-hmm. Because that's life. And I'm not trying to never be frustrated with them. What I'm trying to do is create enough positive associations that their only association won't with care tasks won't be, oh yeah, that's the stuff that sucks to do. And, and that's why I think we have this sort of saying that neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm -hmm. And if your only experience with cleaning your room is your parent yelling at you, or you feeling lonely or lost or overwhelmed, if that happens enough times, as an adult, you could walk into a messy room and start to feel all those same feelings. Even though no one's yelling at you, even though no one expects you to clean it, even though there's nobody living there but you, we can attach those same experiences together. And so I know that in my child's childhood, there will be plenty of fights about rooms and there will be plenty of back and forths and tensions and things about participating in our family. So I want to make sure that I'm consciously giving them other positive and morally neutral experiences with these things so that they get released to the world, believing that care tasks are functional and having the motivation to want to care for themselves and for their family. Yeah. Yes. It's it's so important to understand that nobody's going to be perfect with this stuff and we're all going to get frustrated and angry sometimes. And that's just part of life. And there's going to be some conflict between parents and kids. It just exists. It's just part of being a parent. But yes, I think it's it, it's about that net positive. Yeah. It, it's about trying to make as many of those positive experiences as we can. And I say the same thing when I talk about 
teaching kids in school. And, and there's this focus that by the time they get to kindergarten, they have to be able to write their name. They need to count to a thousand. They need to be able to name all their letters and maybe even a couple languages. And what I want them to focus on is, yes, that stuff is a byproduct, but make sure you're making it fun. And if you can create a love of learning and a love of curiosity, and yes, they're still going to be able to kind of do those things, then that's just going to make it much easier and better when they actually get into school. And there's mm-hmm. so many days where they're like, this is just too much homework and I don't want to do that. And we're going to have those arguments, but the general theme and the value there is learning is fun. And I want to do that. Yeah. And one of the things that I picked up actually from Janet Lansbury and, and talking about cleaning and care tasking with kids is not to interrupt the play, particularly at my daughter's age. You know, if she's engaged in something, she's doing her work, like her brain are, is creating so many connections when she's sitting there playing independently. And if I interrupt this playtime that she's enjoying and go, okay, kids, fun's over. We all have to clean right now. Why? Because mother has arbitrarily said so. I'm setting up, right? I'm setting it up for them to see taking care of their space as the bummer that gets imposed on them by the person that has more power. And so I have some cool videos on my TikTok and on my YouTube where I sort of demonstrate, okay, I'm watching my kid play. I'm watching her play. And then she stops playing with the blocks and turns around and says, I want to paint. And I take that opportunity to say, that's a great idea. Let's tidy up our space. And then mommy will get the paint out. So trying to catch them in that transition Mm -hmm. and, you know, okay. And so then we tidy up, we tidy up and you can see her do the same thing, right? Three minutes in. Okay. I want to paint now. I want to paint now. And that's when I can still have boundaries and limits. I can say, when we finish tidying, mommy will get the paints out, right? I'm not saying that I cater to her every whim or anything like that. And you know what? She can choose to come and participate or she can choose to sit there and whine about the paint. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Both of those are acceptable choices. But I will point out this will go faster if you help mommy. We'll get closer to the paints if you help mommy. Mm -hmm. But that's one of those examples of I'm not focused on how do I get her to clean? How do I get her to stop whining and clean? Because that's not the value I'm trying to build in in that moment. By the time her brain is fully functioning, she's going to know how to pick up an item if she's got the right relationship to those tasks. And if she, the barriers in her life, like maybe ADHD or things like that have been addressed. And so at this moment, The value is, let me demonstrate to you how this clean space is functional to you. We're not doing it because mommy likes to look at it better or because mommy doesn't want to deal with her anxiety over the mess. We're doing it because we're going to have more space to have fun once Mm -hmm. this is done. And you can participate or not participate, but we're not going to move on to the paint until we've done this because this is the the right thing to do now. Absolutely. And and how do you find in your own life that she responds to that? She responds really well. Like it's been such a pleasure. And, you know, with the first one and the older one, you never know like how much of this did I do and how much of this is just this kid's temperament. Sure. Right. But she responds really well to it. You know, I I don't think, you know, the fact that my three-year-old will say of her own volition, let's tidy up mommy. She's already beginning to recognize when does this space become not functional to me? And because every time she suggests let's tidy up or I suggest let's tidy up, we do it together. She doesn't get into the space where, because a lot of times kids will say, I don't like it this messy, but I don't also don't really want to clean it or I don't know how or I'm overwhelmed with it. But right. the fact that she knows that help is there, I think that she's starting to recognize, okay, what, she's building that internal responsiveness to when is the room not fun for me anymore? Mm. Or when do I want to do something that's going to require some more space? Or when can I not find my toys because they're not all in the right bucket? And that's my goal, that she sees these things as functional so that she has intrinsic motivation to clean her space, to care for herself. Yeah. And that intrinsic motivation is so it's just so important and it's so valuable to get kids to say, I want to do this because it feels better or because this is part of being a member of our family, as opposed to I'm going to do this because I either one don't want to be yelled at or I don't want to have to deal with the fight or because I'm going to earn this star. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that they still are maybe not going to ever want to clean something or want to do the dishes because to be honest, I don't want to do those things. I hate dishes. (laughs) But like you mentioned, their brain isn't fully formed until around 24. And so if I go their whole 18 years and they never have a clean room, but I've instilled a healthy and functional relationship to those tasks, I can be confident that one day when it becomes important to them, they will have the skills to care for themselves. And I can trust that I don't know of any person absent functional barriers that doesn't just realize as an adult, I enjoy my space more when it's functional. Mm-hmm. And she, so I know that she's going to have that moment. And if she has that moment and she has a real distressing relationship to cleaning, it's going to be hard. If she mm-hmm. has that moment of wanting that and she has a barrier like ADHD or mental health that we haven't addressed, it's going to be hard. If she sees it as this moral failing, she's not going to want to reach out for help. Right. And so, but if she has this positive relationship to caring for herself, she sees it as a functional issue. One day she will care. Yeah. And you've avoided a lot of those conflicts. So the relationship is so intact. Yeah. Right. And you've been able to focus on so many other things at the same time as we could get pulled into just talking about from my story, it was sometimes cleaning room was an hours long battle. Right. And instead of spending those hours just fighting over a room that can be spent elsewhere too, Mm -hmm. which goes back to that self-care that you were talking about earlier. And so, and we consider feeding ourselves a care task and we do the same thing with food. Like we try to avoid all power struggles about eating. Mm -hmm. And so the way that we do it, and I learned this from, I took a a course from feeding littles about toddler feeding and, and they had a great philosophy that lined up perfectly with the way that I think of things where they said, your responsibility is what you're going to serve them at what time. And their responsibility, their realm of control is how much of that they're going to eat. Yes. And what of that they're going to eat. And so we took that to heart and every meal, you know, and that we occasionally have a snack time or a meal when I say, well, what do you want? Or you pick something, but right. We're not rigid. But I choose what's on the plate and I always try to give them one safe food. I know they'll want to eat and then they get to choose. And if all she eats is bananas, she never touches the vegetables. I don't sweat that because what my aim isn't compliance in vegetables. My aim is a healthy relationship with food. Yes. Because I can trust that if she has a healthy relationship with food, there will come a time in her life where she will want to be healthy. She'll want the function of, I don't want to be tired all the time. I -hmm. want to be healthy. I want, you know, my cholesterol managed. I want the energy that I feel when I eat fruits and veggies. So I want to prioritize that, right? We don't, we serve dessert with dinner. I don't want her to think that there are good foods and bad foods. I don't want her thinking that getting sucked into a diet culture really, really early. I want her to have the autonomy to learn when my body tells me I'm full Mm -hmm. so I can stop. Yeah. And when my body tells me I'm hungry. I want you to talk about that one because I know some people are going to hear that and they're going to be like, you do what? (laughs) You deserve, you serve dessert with the food. I do. So, you know, I went through my (laughs) own process of sort of learning about the way that we work when it comes to food. And one of the things I really want my kids to know is I want them to know there are no good foods or bad foods, because what happens is that if we view sweets, desserts, sugar, you know, fast food as bad, and we view veggies and things like that as good, well, then if we're going to have this restriction around don't eat so much bad food, don't eat so much bad food. And then when we eat a bad food, we feel guilty. Mm -hmm. And then most of us are not very good at dealing with guilt. And we often will deal with guilt by doing something that feels good, which is going to be the sugar or the mm-hmm. feel good food. Yes. And I would like them to see all foods as morally neutral. Foods are just functional. And so, you know, we don't have treats. We don't have dessert. We just have food. And when she says, I want to have a chocolate covered banana for dinner, I don't say, no, that's sugar or no, that's not good for you. Or no, that's not healthy. I just say, no, we're going to have spaghetti or whatever. And she'll say why. And I'll say, because it's really important that we eat a variety of foods 
to get all the nutrients we need. And so if we ate a chocolate covered banana, we'd be too full to eat all of the awesome nutrients in the spaghetti, right. And the vegetables and things like that. And so teaching again, that very basic, it's all functional. I need my body needs the minerals and all those things from these foods. And so that's why we can't have this for dinner because then we won't have room for this. And trusting that, you know, we don't do clean plate or any of that because I Mm -hmm. want my daughter to recognize when she is hungry and when she's full, because our bodies really are pretty good about regulating sort of our set point weight and feeding ourselves, like giving us hunger cues when we need to eat. And we can really disrupt those patterns at a young age by saying you have to eat it all so that she's learning to judge when she's done eating by visually when the plate is full. Yes. And that becomes the cue to her body that says, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. Well, that's fine if you, the parent, are controlling her portions, but then she's going to be released to the world where they serve her some giant portion and she won't know, her body will literally not give her the cues to stop until the plate's clean because Mm -hmm. that's the cue she's learned. Whereas if I give her, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I just did a a video a couple of days ago on that very subject and I noticed that so many adults were the ones that commented saying that was what I was raised. I had to eat everything on my plate, which is how I was raised. And now I don't know when I'm full because they, or I have to eat the veggies first. Yes. So now I'm power eating through a food that I don't even want. I don't even need to get to the food I want when it probably would have been healthier to just eat the food you want. It would have been like (laughs) such such an easier thing. And so, uh, yes, that's huge for us is recognizing I'm full. And let me tell you, it's wild because it's scary. Cause at first, when you say there is no cap on, if we have a stack of cookies and you ask for more cookies, I will literally give her cookies until she's done. The only cap we have is functional. So you can't have a fourth serving of blueberries because you will blow out your pants. (laughs) Right. And I will tell you, it's scary at first because you think, well, if I, if I didn't have a cap on, on what she wants, because if she has three things on her plate, she eats one and then asks for more, she can have more. She can have as many servings of that thing as she wants until she's full, even if she never touches the other things. And that's scary as a parent, because you think, oh God, if I gave them that sort of radical autonomy, then they would never do anything but eat the one thing that they want and they would eat it until they were sick and yada, yada. But let me tell you something that my three-year-old will eat half of a cookie. Wow. She'll eat half a donut and give it back and say, I'm full. Right. I think because kids, babies, they're born with a few main abilities. And one of them is to understand when they're full. And one of our challenges with our baby has been the eating thing, right? Because you Mm -hmm. get all of these messages coming in and saying they have to eat every three hours. You have to wake them up. You have to feed them every three hours and they need to eat this much amount of formula. And there was moments where my wife was crying. I don't know if she wants me to share that, but uh, (laughs) we all cried. So we, right. But crying because he ate one ounce instead of three. And instead of, focusing on, okay, well, he's probably going to eat again in another hour, Mm -hmm. which is him regulating his own body and saying, Hey, I'm full right now, but I'll eat again here in an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. And those, those numbers, by the way, were actually based on total 24 hour intake. A baby needs a certain amount of ounces in 24 hours. And what people did to make that easy for parents was they go, Oh, okay. Well, then if they're supposed to eat, you know, 20 ounces, well, 20 divided by 24 is this many ounces. And then, but that's not how babies eat. They'll eat an ounce. And then an hour later, eat four ounces and then eat two and then eat one and then eat five and then eat nothing Mm -hmm. for four hours. Yeah. And, and we're much the same. And the other thing is this, I mean, it's, it is a delightful experience to eat a donut. Mm -hmm. And if a donut is something you get very, very rarely, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, you'll shove that thing in, even though you're still full because It's such a rare treat. Yeah. But if you had free access to foods, like my daughter doesn't need to eat the whole donut because she knows eh, donuts are always there. Like we don't have real tight restrict, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. not that she can, we don't have donuts at home. This is a thing we go out and do on weekends sometimes, sure. but not that she can go in and get a donut from the pantry whenever she wants. Cause we still control when she eats and what's on the plate and what's Absolutely. offered. And so we, we offer a wide variety of things and just 
it's hard to let go of the control of wanting the result, right? The clean room, eating the veggies, doing the homework. But the reality is if we focus on teaching kids to have a healthy relationship to these items, most of that stuff will work itself out as they mature. Mm-hmm. Can't expect I mean, my child to have that maturity now. Right. Though we'd love for it to happen. Yeah. They just they just don't yet. And it takes that time and, and it takes a lot of effort. And again, it's hard to make that. And there's all the research behind it. Teenagers will usually make that decision for the instant gratification as opposed to the thing that's going to benefit me later on. And that's because that's where their brain development is. Mm-hmm. That part of the brain that tells me, okay, I should eat the the veggies and then not the donut isn't there until... 25 or the to better to take it away from and go more with your instead of putting all the power on desserts their reason that they're driving 85 miles an hour down the highway is because they don't think about the fact that i could have an accident they think this is fun right so yeah and and a three-year-old has less power than that yeah and i think that's always my key like by the time they develop the maturity to make mature decisions the only reason they'll be unable to actually make the decisions is because they have a very complicated and negative relationship to whatever that thing is. That's going to complicate that decision. Mm -hmm. Getting power to things can really be a part of this too, right? We, we give dessert, ice cream. That's -hmm. what you're working towards. You eat all this food and then you get the big reward, which is ice cream or you get the donut. But when we take away that power, it, it really does. It, It makes it, it's just the food. Yeah, you kind of have to make it boring. Mm-hmm. I once read something, I don't know if it's true or not, but it was somebody saying that their parent, when they were growing up, would say they would be eating like a bowl of green beans or something like that. And they'd say, Oh, mom, can I have some green beans? And they'd be like, Oh, no, this is an adult food. And it got to the point where they're like, No, I want green beans. <laughs> and I'm like, That would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so much power in the taboo, the treat. That's a hard shift. And I think, I know for me, like I struggle with not yelling, with being kind all the time. I mean, that's just, I think everyone probably struggles with that. And when like I had an incident recently where they were in a sibling squabble and I didn't Mm -hmm. want someone to get hurt and I felt fear. And so I yelled really loud. And of course the object was get them to stop doing that. And, but that's not helpful. It's not going to be kind. It's not going to give it's not doing what I want, right? Yeah. I my my goal isn't to just hijack their fight or flight response to get a behavioral compliance, which is what happens in that moment, which is fine if you need to stop them from running into the street, right? Right. <laughs> but you know, and I went back later and said, Hey, mommy yelled pretty loud, didn't I? And I just waited. I mean, I'm just so proud of her because I've been trying so hard to focus to let go of whether they eat right or clean right or do any of this and focus instead on emotional intelligence, emotional regulation, boundaries, self-respect, things like that, safety. And she said, yeah, it scares me when you yell like that. I Mm. don't like it. You need to be calm. (laughs) And thank you, Daniel Tiger. And I said, man, you're so right. You're so right. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to do the Daniel Tiger countdown next time I feel that way. And she said, okay, thank you. And then I always, I always put in, and you're right. You deserve to be spoken to in a calm, kind voice. And I always tag that on, you know, I've, I've grabbed her by the arm before because I was frustrated and she said, you got to be gentle. And I'm so proud when she says those things to me, because I'm trying to raise a kid that knows that, that there is no authority beyond accountability. Mm-hmm. She gets to check authority when yes. they are not behaving appropriately. And I throw, and I, and so I always use that line. I say, you're right. Mommy needs to breathe and be calm. And that was not gentle. And you deserve to always be touched gently Yeah, because I'm trying to build a kid that when she gets into grade school or she gets into a relationship or she gets, the idea that somebody would speak to her cruelly or touch her body in a way she doesn't like would be so unfamiliar to her, mm-hmm. so off the wall, like for no second would she stand for that because we never stood for it, that she is just going to be this little powerhouse. 
that she yeah. will speak truth to power, that it would just be so bizarre for a person to lay their hands on her yeah. and act like it was okay. She'd be like, oh no, something's not right about this. Even at my home, when people made mistakes, they were, they said, oh, you're right. No one should be doing this. Right. And she'll have that assertiveness to, it sounds like to even be able to say, hey, no, don't do that. And the understanding that it's not okay. And she needs to let somebody know. Yeah. And, you know, we do that bodily autonomy stuff with other things. When I get overwhelmed, I don't want to be touched. And she says, oh, pick me up, pick me up, pick me up. I'll say, mommy doesn't want her body touched right now. Yeah. Right. Yesterday, when her little sister grabs her hair, even though her little sister doesn't understand because she's very, very little, I'll look at her little sister in front of the bigger one and say, she doesn't want her body touched right now. And you have to respect when someone says that. And I guess my point in all of that is that 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 takes me a lot of energy, a lot of patience, a lot of concentration. I don't have time to worry about whether you picked up toys or ate your veggies. Obviously I care about those things and I'm, I'm doing what I need to, but like, I don't have time to get into power struggles about those kinds of things. I have far more important values to instill and I need you to trust me and and know that I'm for you. Yeah. Do we want a kid who's just going to eat veggies and have a clean room? Or do we want a kid who's going to be able to have healthy relationships and be able to talk to people and stand up for themselves and be assertive? Yeah. And you know what? I do believe that veggies are important and having a functional space is important, Uh but it's important because you are a person who deserves to be healthy and have a functional space. It's not important because you should do these things to be a good kid. Mm-hmm. And if she grows up believing she deserves those things and she has an uncomplicated relationship with those things, I really do trust that she'll be somebody who's capable of choosing the veggies and, and the care tasks. Yeah. Because you're teaching her the problem solving skills and that self-regulation and the ability to listen to her body. Yeah. And because of that, I remember when I first started as a therapist, one of my old supervisors said, sometimes we're just planting a seed. And with kids, it's a lot of that. We're, we're planting these little seeds that eventually are going to blossom and it's you'll, you'll see all these big changes and it'll be like that switch flips and all of a sudden they're doing this thing and they're like, wow, where did that come from? And it came from all of these little things that you're doing leading up to this. Yeah. And I, so, and I don't want parents to hear me saying it doesn't matter what they eat or, or, you know, if they ever clean, it's more about what is the best way Mm -hmm. to turn them into adults that are capable of engaging in these skills. And I think some of the short-term working behavioral compliance strategies, they just tend to backfire later in life for them. And and what you said really reminds me, I have a, a friend that's a therapist that does a motherhood coaching course. And one of the things that she talks about, and and of course she got this from another source too, which I can never remember. I can never remember where things come, but I at least will tell you I didn't think of it, um, (laughs) which I think is the important part. But she talks about shifting the idea that parenthood is like being a carpenter where you're, you're whittling away and you have control over every stroke of the knife. And if you just take each step exactly right, you will end up with the picture you want. And that's how a lot of us think of parenting. And we agonize over, well, she needs the formula or is it breast milk or should we do baby led weaning or, you know, is she too messy? We agonize over these things as if, if we could just get all the steps, right, we would get the right product. And she says, we need to shift our idea of a parent from a carpenter to a gardener Mm. that yes, we have a set, we have these responsibilities of planting the seed, tilling the soil, watering the ground, but there are these other variables that we don't have any control over. You could do your part completely perfect, but you can't control a drought or a Mm. monsoon or a snowstorm or a rodent coming along and digging up your seeds. And I think it works both ways about, you know, I'm going to do this planting and this tilling and this caring, but that flower may not bloom until they're out of my house or years from now. And whether or not that flower blooms won't just be because of my hard work. Mm -hmm. There are other factors that I don't have control over. Right. But that doesn't mean that my little slice of responsibility is any less important. And it doesn't mean that I could, you could certainly screw up your slice of responsibility so much that even the best weather couldn't help. But I think that that 
that's always been so helpful of thinking of the long game and what kind of person am I creating, who they are, not just what they do. Mm-hmm. I love that analogy so much. I'm going to I'm going to steal that. Do I'll, it. I'll try and re- remind, remember to to cite you, but I'm the same way. I can never remember who. Well, don't cite me because <laughs> I, I can't remember who it came from either. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that I heard from somebody that heard from somebody. Yeah, there you um, go. Yeah. But I love that analogy. I'm, I'm going to use that because I think that that is really the the message that I think really that if we culminate this entire conversation is what it's about, right? Mm-hmm. It's these little conversations, these little moments. It's not necessarily saying you have to clean. It's, hey, let's clean because this is what we want to do. And then mm-hmm. not trying to force it. And that helps build these small little moments that eventually grow into have the potential to grow into much more. And it could be about taking care of things at home. It can be about learning. It can be about how do we make and maintain friendships. All of these things are just small little lessons. They're not just a one-time lesson and we're done. It's a culmination of everything. Mm. It brings, I know we're sort of nearing the hour, but I, it brings to me a story of I, there were a lot of struggles that I had in school regarding doing homework. And I mean, I never did homework and I know now, I mean, I was recently diagnosed with ADHD. And so I think Mm. a lot of it had to do with once it's, once I'm out of the class, it's all dead to me, but I loved learning. I loved learning. And I sat in class in the front and I listened to those lectures and I loved doing that. And I was really grateful that I wasn't overly punished about not doing the homework, that that didn't create all of these like really negative grades. Because at the end of the day, even though I didn't have good grades for a lot of my, I mean, I had passing grades, but they weren't amazing. When I got to college and I had to teach myself how to study and all these sort of things, I actually ended up going to grad school and rediscovered how much I loved learning in grad school. And I just think back to how like there was this flame of loving to learn and I wasn't good at all of the behavioral compliance that school asked of me, but I loved to learn. And there were so many ways that people could have snuffed out that flame by trying to wrench behavioral homework compliance from me or sitting or how I behaved in class or any of these things, they could have killed that flame. And I'm so glad they didn't. And I'm so glad that because I kept that intact, I learned the other skills later when it actually mattered to me. And so I think we just want to preserve that little flame, whether it's eating, care tasks, school, you got to protect that precious little flame because Mm -hmm. if you protect the flame, they will develop the skills when it matters to them. Absolutely. And I'm very glad that nobody put that flame out for you too, because it's helped you to have this platform, Mm -hmm. right? It's helped you to become where you are and, and help so many other people. I think, yes, we need to protect and help kids without having all of these power struggles and turning things into this, I hate doing this mm. because then it just has a chance to backfire later on. Just like, I think you said it best. Yeah. So as we, we kind of wrap up today and I know we could probably keep going for it no. <laughs> forever. So I'm, I'm going to make myself make a stop <laughs> um, as we kind of wrap up today. If you had one piece of advice for a new parent or a new preschool parent, what would that be for you? So as a one-stop shop, one of the things that I found incredibly helpful, I just, I think I'm going to give two resources, right? Great. The No Drama Discipline by Dan Siegel. Absolutely. I got it on audiobook and I, you know, on a road trip or something, I listened to it and I didn't even finish it, but that reconceptualized my whole approach to parenting. And it made it make sense. Some of these objections that we feel in sort of a knee-jerk reaction are really explained there. And then I also started listening to Janet Lansbury's podcast when she goes through very specific scenarios. And so I think there's so, I would love to give like a one line zinger, but I just, I couldn't tell you which one concept would be the Mm -hmm. advice. But if if you're hearing this and you're thinking, I want to lean into this as a parent, those would be my two kind of go-to places to start for both the theoretical orientation and just some really cool practical examples that help sort of solidify that. Yeah. 
I can say that I recommend No Drama Discipline probably a hundred times a week. I love that book. It's so, it's so great. Him and Tina Prane Bryson have some of the greatest parenting books out there. Again, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time. And again, I know we could keep, because our subjects, we just kept kind of going and I, I, I think there was so many things we could cover, but could you tell everybody where can they find you? Yes. So I am at Domestic Blisters on TikTok and I'm at Struggle Care on Instagram and Facebook. TikTok is my main channel. So if you want to see my sort of daily videos, that's where you want to find me. I have a website, which is strugglecare.com. I have a book on Amazon called How to Keep House While Drowning, which is an excellent book for any new parent or really any parent in general. It's not parent specific, but trust me, it's very germane. And so those are the places that you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Little Tots Big Talks podcast. If this episode was helpful for you, and I truly hope it was, please take a moment to subscribe and leave a review. If you are looking for more free tips, you can always pay me a visit on TikTok at Preschool Therapy, on Instagram at Preschool Therapist, or if you are looking for more in-depth information and support, consider joining my membership program. You can get more information and sign up by visiting preschooltherapist.com and click the membership link. Take care and I will see you next time.